Good morning and welcome to Beacon Church's Sunday morning message. So pleased you're here. It's great to have you with us. If this is your first time, you are more than welcome. Glad you found us. Um, hopefully, there's not going to be too many more of these in the near future. Plans are afoot for returning to in-person meetings, just so you know. Uh, please bear with us. It's not going to be immediate. We want to do it well. Um, but we are pushing on the door um, and meeting up with the owners of Vibe and stuff like that. So uh, we're working it out, working out how to do it well. Uh, bear with us, it's happening. Uh, in the meantime, over the next few weeks, uh, these videos will continue. Uh, but whether we're in person at Vibe, whether we're here on screen, we are his people gathered. And uh, if you recall just from a few weeks back, Bob and I did a little chat on a midweek video uh, where we referenced Joshua chapter 9 where Joshua gathers the people around the ark around the presence of God for the preaching of the word for all to hear that hasn't changed whether we're doing it on zoom by video whether we do it in vibe wherever it might be that has not changed that's what it means to be God's people gathered around his presence and while the season may be changing the context might be changing he remains the same and we are still his people and we are still wrapped up in his plans and purposes his mission has not changed and he's still doing great things amongst us around us uh, there's plenty more to come i'm looking forward to seeing what god's got up his sleeve for us in the near future uh, in the meantime i'm going to be speaking from luke chapter 5 in just a moment but first a little treat for you um, the passage I'm preaching on is the famous story of the hole in the roof, the healing of the paralysed man. And trailblazers are going to tell us that story. So, trailblazers, over to you. Hello. 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 Jesus was at a house preaching. Many people gathered there because they heard he was healing the sick. The house was overflowed with people. Many had to stand outside. There was no room left, not even outside the door. Down the road, there lived a man who could not walk. He was paralyzed. His friends believed, in, believed Jesus could heal him. They carried him to the house. It was still too crowded, so they carried him up to the roof. The man's friends made a hole in the roof and lowered him down to Jesus. Jesus saw that the man had faith. He knew how much they loved their friend. Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven. The man stood up and walked. The crowd praised God. Thank you, Trailblazers. What a wonderful tale and what a wonderful telling. Well done, that was fabulous. We're going to dive deeper into that story in just a moment and we're going to discover something more of God's heart and intent that still stretches right across history up to and including today and beyond. Uh, but first, you may have heard the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. It's 
often quoted as an unreferenced Bible verse and even a study back in 2017 revealed that over half of practicing Christians who were asked believed it to be so. In fact, it originates uh, from Aesop's fables and then it got popularized by Benjamin Franklin a few hundred years ago. It is God helps those who help themselves is categorically not in the Bible and it is categorically not in line with what the Bible says. While there is a place for God as our true father, giving us room to learn lessons in order to grow, the overarching point of the Bible's message is that we are lost without him. We cannot in any way save ourselves from this cosmic mess that we've got ourselves into. And we need a great rescuer from outside of it to step in and free us. And he, the one who can, he does see our plight and out of his great love, he has stepped in, in person, to do so. That's Jesus. Jesus is God out loud. And today we see him doing exactly that. We see God who sees humanity's plight and who responds in saving power. And this story of the hole in the roof is actually, it's a snapshot of what Jesus has been and is doing for humanity across the ages. This is, this is a famous story of Jesus healing a paralysed man, but it's not simply another miracle to add to a list. It's notable because of what it reveals further about Jesus himself. Now, in earlier passages, as we've been working through Luke, we've seen he's already shown compassion on the people who've been gathering around him on previous occasions, and he has already pointed to who he really is. But this moment gives him opportunity to really push both of these aspects of his person home. So here we're going to get to see on display and we're going to look at two particular things. Firstly, we're going to see Jesus seeing our broken humanity. And secondly, we're going to see Jesus showing his divine deliverance. So let's read the passage again from the ESV. We're going to read it and, we, and then we'll dig in. It's from Luke chapter 5, from verses 17 to 26. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralysed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralysed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So the first point I want to look at is the fact that Jesus sees our broken humanity. 
is such a wonderful and heart-lifting aspect of his divine character. He's not aloof, he's not indifferent. Our plight bothers God himself. Because what's helpful to note here, which then enables us to catch Jesus's heart even more in this moment, is the setting for this instant. If you look at the same story, it's told also in Mark chapter 2. And in the very first verse of that, we discover this is Jesus's house. This is where he's living at the time. Mark 2 verse 1 says, And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. This is church in Jesus's house. And he's, we, we discover he's fine with his home being disrupted, <laughs> destroyed even. Jesus is not phased by the unexpected or changes to plans because he knows he's dealing with people. And here the people, they're crammed in to hear Jesus preach. It's a church meeting in Jesus's house and it's going swimmingly. It's going according to the program, if you like. And just imagine this moment though. Everything's running smoothly. They've squeezed into his house and they're sitting there hooked on Jesus's every word. His message is powerful and enthralling and suddenly Spider-Man on a rug appears, descending slowly into their midst. I mean, what will... What would your reaction be? Would you be nudging whoever's next to you going, here, look, <laughs> you just start giggling or chatting about it? Or what if you're the speaker? What if you're in Jesus's shoes? You've got this, this sermon to preach and you're hoping, well, I'm hoping somebody else is going to quickly deal with this distraction so I can get on with what I prepared to say. But Jesus, he doesn't blink with this interruption and instead he deals with it beautifully. Now, of course, we could argue that he wasn't surprised, that he knew it was coming. He's God after all. But nothing in these passages refers to that. What we are told is that immediately he sees the humanity before him. That's what catches his attention. It doesn't look at the vandalism. There's a hole in my roof. No, he looks at the person in front of him and the faith of this man's friends. And that's his single focus. Because Jesus didn't come to keep the status quo or to keep things comfortable and tidy. He came to rescue and repair broken souls. You and me. And that means mess. That means plans get scuppered. Dealing with humans is never simple, is it? Welcome to life. That's us. But here we see the God of all things who is perfectly and permanently good, not batting an eyelid at the distraction but instead he's zoning in straight away on the humanity, a vulnerable man in need of help. It's just another snapshot of the gospel. Because it's not just about physical healing either. Here is a soul in need of rescue, which is Jesus's primary kind of laser target. And so the question for all of us right here, just press pause for a moment, the question right here would be twofold, vertical and horizontal, if you like. Vertically, you need to ask, how much do I accept that Jesus sees my humanity in all its weakness and its needs? And he sees it, he sees me with mercy and compassion. Or do I try to pretend I'm okay or pretend I'm better than others? Or do I find it hard to repent and to be honest before him? Do I even think I'm beyond help and I don't even want to go there and I don't even want to talk to him about it? Because how we accept how much he sees our brokenness and with mercy and compassion, that changes my prayer life, that changes your prayer life, that changes our spiritual growth 
that changes our discovery and receiving of what it means to be fully free and fully human by his work and not ours. But also horizontally. We can ask how much do I see other people through his eyes? A fellow broken human being in equal need of a saviour. Where the fundamental, the ultimate answer to their own stumbling as well as mine is Jesus. That changes how you and I help others. That changes how you and I pray for others. That changes how we point others to him. Jesus is a God who sees humanity in all our failings and whose immediate desire then is to restore. Which brings me to my second point, that not only does Jesus see our broken humanity, he also shows his divine deliverance. He's eager to. Because here Jesus goes straight for the jugular. The fundamental issue at stake, even though what it looks like on the surface, the fundamental issue at stake is not the man's physical ailment. But actually, it's his spiritual one, which helps press home what we've been learning in recent weeks. These, these men are lowering their friend down to be healed physically. And Jesus, having seen their hopes for such, he proclaims the man's sins to be forgiven. Verse 20, your sins are forgiven you. I mean, you can imagine his friend shouting down through the hole. Uh, Jesus, we had something else in mind. Uh, I'm not sure if you noticed, but he's still on his bed. The clue's right in front of you. But no, just like Pete Sabitsky pointed out um, back in February, that Jesus loves to heal. He loves to heal, but he's more concerned about homing in on the sickness of the heart than on the sickness of our bodies. And so what happens here is where the pedal hits the metal. And we've got to notice some of the audience here. Verse 17, right at the beginning of this passage, it says that Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee, that's up in the north of the country, and Judea and from Jerusalem, that's down in the south of the country. From right across the nation, Jesus had caught these religious leaders' attentions. They've all gathered to this place. These men who have influence and power, and they tend to think that they're the ones with the answers. Not all, as we discover later on in the New Testament, but a sad, vast majority are wrapped up in their pride and their position. And they've come to hear Jesus and to catch him out. And while Jesus's immediate inclination is towards the restoration of a broken soul here, these holy men's immediate inclination is that he's therefore an offensive charlatan. Despite the fact they've heard all about these miracles that he's performing, which is what's caught their attention in the first place, that tells us a lot about their starting position. He's a threat to our seat of power. And by that, we're going to judge everything he does. And that leaves another question. How we view or how we approach Jesus, as in with or without the willingness to accept or consider that he might well be who he says he is, that immediately affects our response and our opportunity to receive the restoration that's on offer. I mean, saying that, they're the ones themselves who speak the truth out loud. No one can forgive sins but God, is what they say. Yeah, you said it, lads. Because it's here we hit the heart of the matter. Sin is a cosmic sickness, a spiritual 
vast sickness that lingers from generation to generation. It's never left to humanity. It's unavoidable. It's unfixable. It's in all of us and it affects every aspect of our being, our desires, our appetites, our will, our wants. That is a wedge between us and God, let alone each other. Romans 3 verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Jesus himself in Mark chapter 7 from verse 20 says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. We are all somewhere on that list. And this is a sickness that affects every single one of us. And we own the choices that we make within that too. Now, our vacuum cleaner, we can empty the drum when it looks full. We can remove the hairs and the fur that get caught up in the roller brush. But there remains a filter at the very core of the machine that unless we do some kind of surgery and we wash it through thoroughly, there will remain a sickness in its very heart that can cause fatal problems further down the line. And in the same way, we can clean up the things that we see that are wonky in us. We can cut off the things that we consume that we know are bad for us, whether certain places or people or products or websites or whatever. And we can assume habits and routines that keep us away from them. But only Jesus, God himself, can take that actual heart of ours out of which it all comes and he can wash it so thoroughly we become a new being inside as well as outside we can't do that he can and does romans chapter 5 verses 6 and 8 says for while we were still weak at the right time christ died for the ungodly and god shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners christ died for us you see, it's not God helps those who help themselves. It's God helping those who can't help themselves, you and me. So here in this passage, look, Jesus, he's reading these religious leaders' thoughts and he knows exactly what will ruffle their feathers and simultaneously show his divine authority out loud. Because in the immediate, of course, we humans, we can't see someone's sins forgiven. Although in the long run, we see the fruit of it. But in the moment, we can't see it. It's invisible to us. But we can all see a lame man walk again. And so Jesus, in both his further grace to the man and his friends, and in his outspoken divine identity, he backs up his very right to forgive sin by restoring the man's legs for all to see. It's like, now do you get it? And again, just to prove the point that God isn't in the business of helping those who help themselves but rather restoring the lost. There's no mention here of this man's faith in this moment, only of his friends. And there's actually no mention of how much faith they have, just that they're looking to Jesus to have the answer. Now, I know we've talked about this recently, but it is really important to reiterate that how much faith we have for our own healing or for someone else's or for their salvation, that how much faith we have for that is not what dictates how much God heals or restores. 
only that we look to him by his grace and by his invitation as the great deliverer. That's all. For example, in John chapter 5, we see the man at the pool of Bethesda. When he is asked by Jesus, the great healer himself, when he asks him, do you want to be healed? The man only replies that he has no one to lower him into the waters that are renowned to be a cure. His eyes are over there. That's his reply. It's like Jesus saying to someone today, do you want to be healed? And instead of going, yes, I trust in you as, as the one who can. No. Today, if Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? And they said, well, to be honest, I keep trying to get to Lourdes, that healing place in France, but I can't book an airline ticket because the website keeps crashing. It's the same kind of reply. Your eyes are over there, not to him. And yet this guy in Bethesda, he's looking elsewhere for his healing. And yet Jesus in that moment, regardless, he heals him anyway. Where was that man's faith in Jesus? Or anyone else's faith on his behalf in, in that moment either? There were none. And yet he was healed. And Lazarus in John chapter 11, he had zero faith because he was dead. And his friends and his family had no faith either. They were like, Jesus, do not open that tomb. He's going to be really, really smelly. <laughs> and yet Lazarus was restored. I mean, there's more to be said on this subject. You can look at Naaman in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 5, Trophimus in the New Testament, 2 Timothy, for example. There's other examples we could go into, but I'm going to leave it there. Simply put, it's not a question of how much faith we have, only that we recognise him as the one who can and does. And so here, Jesus does. And in healing this man physically, Jesus gives a demonstration of what has occurred beneath the surface sins forgiven and thus shows his divinity to everyone who's looking it leaves no wriggle room people cannot sit on the fence anymore i just got to ask are, are you sitting on the fence are you unconvinced by jesus's divinity and offer of salvation you can ask any number of us at Beacon Church about how he's revealed himself to us and how he worked through us and how he's helped us when we cannot help ourselves. He's rescued us when we cannot rescue ourselves. We all have testimonies of a God who has lifted us out of our brokenness when we couldn't and made us new beings in him. God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps the lost. That's you and me. And it's available for you right here and right now. So let me just finish the reminder of these two points that Jesus sees our broken humanity and he reveals his divine deliverance. Jesus, God himself who gave himself to rescue us by his work on the cross. He is a God who is not blind to our plight. He is a God who sees our eternal need and our brokenness and his first instinct is to offer us healing and rescue. And in so doing he reveals his divine deliverance out loud. He's the only one who can heal bodies, but far greater than that, he's the only one who can heal souls and he's not stopped doing it. So let's all look to him as our rescuer, as our de deliverer, who is forever ready to lift us up and set us back on our feet, whatever mess we may find ourselves in. Whatever we've done, whatever has been done to us, he can rescue us. Now, maybe you've been retreating from him recently, hiding from him, keeping away, not approaching for whatever reason. Maybe you've been finding it hard to know his love over you. Just know he's not as far away as he may feel. 
He's right here in front of you. Look to him now, accept his invitation and watch him lift you up and put you back on your feet. Let him heal you from the inside out, set you back on your feet by his power for his glory. Let him help us because we can't do it. Let me just pray for us. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God who rescues. We thank you so much that we humans are in this mess. We brought it on ourselves. We can't get ourselves out of it after how many, how many generations, thousands of years later. We, we, can't, we can't fix it. You're the God who can and does. And we look to you as our great rescuer. We celebrate you. We thank you, Lord. Help us to remember this each and every day. Those of us who don't know you, you open our eyes to meet with you fully for the first time and step into the freedom and rescue that you offer. And those of us that do know you, help us every day to not limit how much you see the brokenness in us and around us and how much you are available to keep working with us and partnering with us by Holy Spirit to be uh, transformed from one degree of glory to another. You're making us more like you. Help us keep stepping into that each and every day that we might reflect you, glorify you, praise you with our mouths, with our hands, with our feet, with our bodies, with our minds. Help us to celebrate you out loud and live for you all the more by your help and not in our strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.